The Edge is copyright 2006 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. And be sure to check out The Mayday Murders, another free podcast currently available by Scott Wittenberg. Saturday, Chapter 5 It was a beautiful Saturday morning. Although spring was in its third week, there was a crisp chill in the air. It was much like autumn, Adam's favorite season. Adam peered over at the clock radio. It was 10.05. As the memories of last night began cascading into his drowsy mind, he realized it was useless to try and get back to sleep. He was too excited and anxious to begin the day. He sleepily arose and entered the kitchen, headed straight for the coffee maker, and prepared a fresh pot. Mickey, the cat, brushed against his legs and looked up at him with that pleading look for food. Adam fed his cat, then strode over to the kitchen window. Looking out the bright sunshine, he smiled as he realized that New York was finally to be blessed with a beautiful weekend for a change. It had rained for six straight weekends, and the foul weather had not helped to raise his low spirits. Suddenly it dawned on Adam the tremendous effect the weather could have on the human mind, and he momentarily marveled at how powerless man truly was against the laws of nature. Somebody's definitely up there, he thought to himself, as he raised the blinds to let more of the precious rays of sun in. The coffee pot had ceased to make its gurgling sound, and Adam went over to the cupboard to get a mug. After filling the mug and adding a small amount of milk, he returned to his bed and lit up a cigarette. Adam was a self-confessed creature of habit, and this little routine had been part of his daily life for practically as long as he could remember. He felt a necessity to ease slowly into each and every new day, to organize his thoughts in an effort to somehow sort out his topsy-turvy life. He was, after all, he decided, a frustrated artist, and he felt he deserved these quiet moments of contemplation to himself. If world chaos were to suddenly break out on any given morning, Adam would still feel obliged to drink his coffee and smoke his cigarette before he could even consider taking any kind of action. It was simply that essential. He took a sip of the steaming brew and began thinking of Laura and the song he had just written about her the previous night. As the lyrics came back to him, he realized that in the process of writing the song, he had learned something about himself. He now realized just how vulnerable he had become, and that realization left him with an uneasy feeling. Never before in his life could he ever remember being so utterly dependent on anything, or any one for that matter. But now he was. It almost sickened him to accept it, but the fact remained. He was almost literally at Laura's mercy. He couldn't understand how he had ever gotten into this tenacious situation, but his biggest worry now was how he was going to deal with it. Throughout his entire life, Adam had more or less shied away from serious relationships with the women he had dated, as if to keep himself from the possibility of falling in love with them. He felt that an intimate relationship would surely ruin his career as he would eventually have to consider marriage, or a similar arrangement, and the tremendous responsibilities that would ensue. It had actually become an obsession with him, as he tried imagining himself actually settling down and taking a regular job seriously, and being stuck with that job for the rest of his life. He had horrible visions of his wife bent over the stove cooking supper, while the kids tore around the kitchen screaming at the top of their lungs. But most horrifying of all was trying to imagine what it would be like to actually give up his career once and for all, be it prematurely for the sake of marriage, or even more frightening, because he had failed. 
He resented even considering the possibility that he might be a failure, but that thought had been creeping into and out of his mind a lot lately. He wasn't getting any younger, after all, and the average useful life of a rock act was limited anyway. He was actually getting tired of the whole affair, as he considered how much it was taxing him and his life. He hated admitting this to himself, but he knew it was true. Then Laura had come into his life, and suddenly those doubts about himself and the horrible vision seemed to fade away. He started seeing the possibility of a meaningful relationship in his career coexisting together. He felt as though he had finally found someone he could live with, and at the same time, someone who could join him on the road to success, and even be an inspiration to him. Adam knew that Laura wasn't aware of the profound effect she had on him, and he decided that he simply must tell her, and the sooner the better. He felt that there was a good chance that she loved him, and she was simply keeping herself from believing it, as he had always done. Tonight, he decided, he was going to change all of that. If necessary, he would play the song for her, sort of as a preamble to all the things he wanted to say. He knew that she would listen to him with an open mind, for she was truly an open-minded person. Suddenly, Adam felt optimistic. Everything would be just fine, he thought to himself with a grin. He got out of bed and decided he was hungry enough for breakfast. After finishing his meal, he got dressed, put on a light jacket, and made his way out of the door, bound for the supermarket. Once on the street, he was surprised at how cool the air was, and once again thought of how much it felt like fall. He began humming to himself as he walked down 31st Street toward the local grocery store. Adam wasn't particularly fond of grocery shopping, but it didn't bother him this morning as he made his way through the aisles. He chose his groceries carefully, remembering that the rent was due next week and they needed to be as frugal as possible. Once he was assured that he had enough to tide him over, he paid the cashier and stepped back out into the beautiful morning. As Adam walked back from the market, he decided that he would take a walk and enjoy the weather. After dropping off the groceries at his apartment, he started walking south toward 30th Avenue. Strolling casually along, he observed the throngs of people on the busy street who were shopping or merely taking in the crisp, autumn-like weather. Although Astoria was decidedly more quaint than most of the neighborhoods in Manhattan, it certainly wasn't any less populated or active, particularly on the weekends. Adam suddenly felt grateful they didn't live in a more obscure area of Queens, such as Maspeth or Ridgewood, where the influence of the city seemed all but non-existent. Yes, he decided to himself, he could be much worse off than he was. Since he'd moved to New York, Adam had never been particularly eager to live in Manhattan. Being practical by nature, he couldn't understand why people were willing to pay such enormous rents just for the status of really living in the city. It amazed him that as many as three or four people would share a tiny studio apartment just so they could afford to pay the ridiculous rents. His own privacy was much too precious to him, and he couldn't imagine himself having to live cramped up in a small stuffy flat with people always hanging around just for the sake of that privilege. Furthermore, he didn't see any real geographic advantage to living in Manhattan in the first place. Unless one was fortunate enough to work in his own neighborhood, which was highly unlikely, one would still have to rely on the subway to get to his job. That was unless one could afford to take a cab every day, which meant that that person could probably afford a nice apartment for himself as well. Thus, Adam came to the conclusion that to live in Manhattan comfortably, one would have to be considerably well off. He was quite certain that he wouldn't be living in Manhattan any time in the foreseeable future. Just as Adam rounded the corner onto Steinway Street, he spotted a familiar face in the crowd. Joe was just stepping out of a liquor store with a paper bag in his hand. 
Hey, Joe! Adam called after him. Joe turned and spotted his musical cohort. Adam, what's happening? He replied and waited for Adam to catch up to him. Not much. See, you're getting ready for another Saturday night, Adam said, gesturing to the bottle Joe was cradling. Yeah, you've got it. Man, you should have been at the Ritz last night. It was packed. That's not surprising. How is the band? Adam asked. Pretty lousy. We're at least a million times better. But they sure had a big following. You wouldn't believe the women that were falling all over the place for them. It was incredible. Well, you know, it's the same old story. The shit bands get into these great clubs just because they have a zillion friends that always show up to see them. Christ, it's depressing. Can you imagine how great we'd go over if we just had a couple of hundred fans? We'd blow them away, Adam declared. You have to remember that these guys have been together for six or seven years. We'll get a following eventually. You just have to be patient, Joe said. Patient? Hell, we'll be old men in six years. Besides, we're good, remember? With that little plus in our favor, I figure we should be signed by now, not piddling around in dives like Gildersleeves and Cartoon Alley, playing to a handful of people. Maybe you'll be old, but then you do have a few years on me. Screw you, too, Adam laughed. I may be a bit older, but at least I don't look it like you do, you old fart. Adam did look remarkably young for his thirty-one years, and could pass for being in his early twenties, with his slender build and boyish features. Joe, on the other hand, was somewhat stocky, heavily bearded, and sported a considerable paunch, making him appear older than his twenty-five years. You just wait until I lose some more weight, then we'll see, Joe replied good-naturedly. So what did you do last night? Did you write any new tunes? Actually, I did. This one could be the best I've ever written, but I don't think it's suitable for the band. It's a little too... schmaltzy. Well, I've got a couple of tunes we can work up at rehearsal next Thursday in case you don't come up with something else in the meantime. Joe, who was a proficient writer, had also been writing songs for the band since shortly after its inception. Although the vocal styles of the two were markedly different, their writing was in many ways similar, and their combined styles added an interesting dimension to the band's sound. Great, Adam replied. Where are you headed to now? I mean Deborah at the station. Then we'll probably go to the park. Well, I'm just screwing around, so I might as well walk you to the station, Adam said as the two proceeded walking south on Steinway. I've been meaning to ask you something, Adam. Is anything wrong? Joe inquired as they made their way through the throngs of people. Wrong? No, not really, Adam replied. Why do you ask? Oh, I don't know. You just haven't seemed like yourself lately. You seem sort of depressed, and you hardly ever go out any more. Adam balked for a moment. Then he said, Well, to be quite honest, I haven't really quite gotten over Laura yet. It really was a pretty heavy thing between us, and the sudden ending of it was a bit of a shock. It's been pretty hard to handle. Wow, I didn't know you were that crazy about her, Joe declared, his surprise more than obvious. Adam considered what Joe had just said. He suddenly realized that in all the time he had been with Laura, he had never really confided his feelings about her to Joe. Their relationship had been more or less private, and his friend had only seen the two of them together at the few gigs she had accompanied him to. The thought of this suddenly boggled Adam for some reason, though he didn't know just why. Adam replied, I don't think I knew I was that crazy about her until now. It's really quite weird. The old hindsight is twenty-twenty syndrome, eh? Joe said. Something like that. I thought that maybe it was just my pride at first. 
I mean, it's been years since a girl's dumped me. Usually it's been the other way around, because I've always gotten paranoid when a relationship started getting really heavy. Now that the tables have turned, I just don't know how to react. But there's a lot more to it, which I'd really rather not talk about. Maybe you should talk about it, Joe said, a note of concern in his voice. Ah, screw it. It's really not that big a deal, Adam said flatly. Okay, I won't push it. I just hope you aren't thinking of quitting the band. Are you kidding? All of this hell has to pay off some day, and I want to be there when it happens, he said with a grin. That's the spirit. To the top, Joe exclaimed. To the very top, Adam replied, recalling the Fab Four's creed. They reached the entrance to the subway station and stopped at the head of the stairs. Seriously, Adam, I hope you work everything out. Maybe you ought to see Laura and try to patch things up, Joe said. Out to hell with it. There are too many other fishes in the sea to be worrying about just one. I'll be all right, thank you. Now you're talking. I'll give you a call tomorrow. Take care, Adam. See you, Joe. As he turned around and headed back up Steinway Street, Adam wondered why he hadn't told Joe of his plans to see Laura again. Had he thought it not significant enough to mention her, or had he merely been hesitant confiding in him? Why hadn't he told him, for Christ's sakes? For that matter, why was he always keeping everything such a big secret? Joe hadn't even suspected he was crushed over Laura. All of a sudden, a frightening realization came to him. He was slowly but surely becoming more and more isolated from everyone and everything in the real world. By his own choice, he was locking virtually all of his feelings, frustrations, and problems within himself. And now, he was just about to burst. I better get a hold of myself, he thought as he sauntered along the sidewalk. I'm going to be a friggin' basket case pretty soon if I don't watch out. Christ, everything is so screwed up in my life that I don't even know who I am anymore. Maybe I'm taking life too seriously. I'm being much too hard on myself, that's for sure. I need help. I just can't go on like this any longer. But who in the hell can help me? Laura. I need Laura. Tonight I'll see her and everything will be good again. God, I miss her. Elated at the prospect of seeing her again, Adam felt better and decided to stop by the liquor store where he had seen Joe. He was running low on bourbon, and if all went well, he and Laura would be sharing some tonight. After picking up a fifth of Old Crow, Adam stepped out of the liquor store and noticed a curious-looking old man with a long white beard standing in front of the deli next door. He was watching a couple of kids careening around their mother in a game of tag. What caught Adam's attention were the rather odd-looking clothes the man was wearing and his unusual eyes, which literally twinkled like two stars in the night sky as he observed the playing children. Adam was just about to pass by when the old man suddenly spun around and fixed his eyes upon him. At first, Adam tried to avert his stare, but he couldn't. The old man's eyes held him in some sort of trance. Then Adam felt his entire body go numb as the piercing eyes seemed to burn right into his brain. For a brief moment, Adam thought he was going to pass out. Then, in an instant, the old man looked away. Feeling dizzy and a bit faint, Adam resumed walking, totally oblivious to what had just occurred. When he arrived at his apartment, Adam set the bottle of liquor on the kitchen table and entered the studio. He located his favorite album, placed it on the turntable, and turned the stereo on. Although he owned virtually every album the Beatles had ever recorded, Abbey Road had seen the most wear, and the suite, on side two, seemed to befit his mood the best. As the acoustic guitar intro of George Harrison's Here Comes the Sun crept out of the speakers, Adam returned to the kitchen and observed the time. It was just a few minutes after noon. 
He knew that the best time to reach Laura was in the early evening, so he contemplated what he could do to kill some time until then. He recalled the paperback novel he had just started last week, and decided that he would spend a few hours relaxing. He lay down on the sofa bed, lit up a cigarette, and began reading. Adam read for the rest of the afternoon. After eating a hastily prepared supper, he anxiously picked up the phone and dialed Laura's number. Hello? Laura's voice said over the line. Laura, it's Adam. How have you been? Oh, all right. How about yourself? Fine. I've just been doing the usual. You know, working and trying to get the band off the ground. We played gelder sleeves a few weekends ago and had a pretty good crowd for a change. How's your job? Laura replied. I haven't been working a whole lot lately. School has been such a bitch that all I ever do is study. I was up all Thursday night studying for a physics exam that I'm sure I flunked. Well, you can't expect to get it all in one night, you know. Very funny, Adam. Hey, you want to go for a ride tonight? I've been dying to get out on the highway and check out some of those beaches I've heard so much about out there on the island. What do you think? Adam crossed his fingers. Sounds okay to me. I mean, I can't think of any reason not to. What time do you want to go? Well, all I have to do is shower and get some stuff together. How long does it take to get to your house from here? Oh, about forty-five minutes, Laura replied. You better give me directions. I think I've got a pencil somewhere here, Adam said as he started fumbling through the mess on the bedside table. Finally, he found a pen. As he wrote the directions down on a scrap of paper, Adam felt victorious. It had almost been too easy. He had envisioned him having to more or less beg Laura to see him tonight, especially on such short notice. But miraculously, she had accepted right from the get-go. It was a good omen, he decided, and a simultaneous wave of relief and excitement swept over him. He had always wanted to see where Laura lived, and always felt a little strange that he had never been there in all the time he had known her. She had always driven to Astoria from her home in Bethpage, Long Island, whenever they had gotten together. Until recently, Adam's car had been in Ohio, recuperating in his parents' garage, after having been trashed one too many times on the mean streets of the city. But now he had it back again, and couldn't wait to get behind the wheel. Okay, I think I've got it straight now. Adam read back the directions to Laura, who confirmed them. He looked at the clock and computed the approximate time he would reach her house. I'll be there at around 9.30, he told her. Remember to bring some warm clothes. It can get pretty cold out here, especially on the beaches at night, Laura said. All right, see you later. Bye, Adam. As he hung up the phone, Adam screamed for joy. He was actually going to see her after all this time. It was almost too good to be true. Smiling broadly to himself, he took a quick shower and shaved. While he was dressing, he caught himself humming the song he had written about Laura the night before. He located an old blanket in the closet and gathered up several cassette tapes, including the one containing the new song, as well as a road map of Long Island. After retrieving the scrap of paper with the directions to Laura's house, he threw everything into a cooler and headed for the door. His car was parked nearby, and as he opened up the hatch, Adam was absolutely ecstatic. He paused for a moment and silently thanked God under his breath. Everything was going to be just fine. He just knew it. He was being given a second chance with Laura, and tonight she was going to save him from himself.